There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. Welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi. Hiya. Who are you? What? Is that, that's my new thing. Hiya. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Who's sitting across uh, from me right now? No one. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> hey, it's it's been raining here. Yeah, we had a rain delay for the pod. Yeah, it was so bad yesterday. I miss it already. I know that's crazy, but I miss I kind of miss it, but <laughs> I, I can't leave the house, so it does sort of stop me from doing things. I can go on my little walks. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like some breaks. I'm happy for it to start up again tonight. Is it? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. So well, uh, it gives us a little day to do things and then we'll be back. Get out there in the sunshine, Desi. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> well, today we are concluding our series on the fixers, the Hollywood fixers. This is not by any means a comprehensive series of episodes because there are so many stories and a few of them we will be covering in much more detail with way more context when we focus in on the story of Jean Harlow and her husband Paul Byrne, George Reeves, if we do a Clark Gable episode. Yeah. Although we do have some more Clark Gable stories today. Oh, no. This guy was uh, he's big. A, he's a heathen. He's a heathen in the Fixers book. Mm. So, again, my main source for these episodes is the book The Fixers by E.J. Fleming. Although I did, I spent a lot of time cross referencing old newspaper articles because some of the claims were like absolutely wild. Mm. And although, like, the big part of the story is that like it was obviously covered up, like right. things were covered up, but there were some things like I felt like needed to be checked out. Yeah. We'll get into that. Okay. We'll get into that because he makes some wild claims and there's the like a writer. Yeah, there's like some conspiracy theories. Oh, involving some stars. He's he's done a lot of old Hollywood books. Yeah, that guy. So, and his sources, um, his own sources for his book span from everything from interviews with film people, like old back in the from back in the day, to other people's biographies to obviously like certain documented sources. But some of the wild claims are just from other biographies. Right. So that's not necessarily true or proven true. Right. Yeah. So let's just go into this episode with that because... Look, as long as the stories are good, I don't fucking care. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Well, buckle up. Let's start with British director Edmund Goulding. He was signed to MGM in 1931 
and Goulding was known to host elaborate weekly orgies at his (sighs) Beverly Hills home. Now, if there's one thing I learned from reading this book is that he is one of several guys back then who apparently hosted weekly orgies. And we would not guess from his name. (laughs) Edmund Goulding. He's like, you know, he's a very posh British guy. He loves to fuck. And he loves weekly orgies. But like, I'm serious. So many people had orgies back then, apparently. This seems like right-wing Hollywood conspiracies. Like, they're all having orgies. (laughs) No, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, So... (laughs) Also, it's like, is this... How many people constitutes an orgy? Is it three? Is Is it it four? four? Is it two couples fucking next to each other? Like, what's an or Like... Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's like a stringent definition, but I, in my mind, it's got to be, you know, 20 people. Also, the definition for orgy was a little different back then, too, because you look at old newspaper articles and the headline will read like wild orgy busted or raided and it's orgies like synonymous for party. Right. It's kind of how sodomy can mean different things. Yeah. Depending on the era. But for the... For this story, we're assuming that this is like sucking and fucking, like yeah. a big pile of people. We want a pile in an orgy. That's what I think of when I think of orgies is like a pile of naked bodies. Yeah. And they're all just, they fall asleep, wake up, fuck and suck, go yeah. back to sleep in their pile. <laughs> it's like a cat. It's like a bunch of cats. No, I think of a pile. Me too. A pile of nude bodies. Yeah. In like a huge living room. Yeah, okay. with like a fireplace. Yeah, and a, a conversation pit. A conver- <laughs> right. <laughs> I do go more to 70s when I think of orgies. Yeah, 70s or like Roman era. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like those it's, two it's things. Those two eras. Like I don't think of the 1930s. No. But? But people were wild then. Yeah. Because you know what? People have been wild throughout history. Yes. There's very few prude eras. <laughs> but even in those eras, it was like that's where kink started. Yeah, people in the Victorian era were still sucking and fucking. They just had to go under a lot of wool petticoats and to get there or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So this guy Edmund Goulding, he would invite his friends, also movie stars, but also randos from around town. Like he'd invite the local baker. Nice. Mix it up. He'd make <laughs> This was like a real um a mix. I love it. I love like movie stars just banging the shop clerk down the street. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how great of an, a day that would be for the shop clerk. Like, yeah. this is my lucky day. Yeah. I'm banging Joan Crawford tonight. Mm. Who would have thought? But in late 1932, one of his sex parties almost got Goulding in serious trouble. No. Two women became seriously injured during an S&M scene. Sending- scene? They were doing a scene, and they it sent both of them to the hospital. That's not good. No information on what kind of a scene this was, but it yeah. could have been a number of things. Look, you can get seriously injured doing if, some of that stuff. Yeah, if not performed safely. Or just accidents happen. Or accidents happen. When Louis B. Mayer found out about <gasps> this, he was furious. Because and- he wasn't invited. <laughs> He's like, no one wants to see this weeble wobble. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, I want Goulding's contract terminated. Yeah. 
But Irving Thalberg, who had signed him, insisted he stay on. He's like, just relax. Yeah, calm down. Just, it's fine. We'll handle this. We got fixers. So the fixers at MGM made sure that the women and, and the authorities were paid off to keep quiet about the incident. But MGM sent Golding back to London for Christmas just to be like, just like go away for a minute. Go do some holiday stuff with your family. Light, go to light a Christmas tree. No, they were like, let your cock take a break. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't want... this. It's the holidays and we don't have time for like any more sex party accidents. No. So he goes to England, but debauchery resumed anyway over at the annual MGM Christmas party that year. Oh, no. So it's not like once Edmund Goulding left town, it was like very prim and proper. No. They're still getting it on. So the Christmas parties at MGM were apparently very horny, with employees getting shit-faced and having sex all over the building. And it was kind of just expected. Like, people are fucking. That's what happens. Irving Thalberg must have partied really hard that (sighs) night because he suffered a heart attack the next day. Wow. Now, he did have, like, a heart condition his whole life. And he did survive this heart attack. But sadly... This wouldn't be the last that he would suffer. No, he'd he's been, got a lot. Yeah, he'd been born with a congenital heart disease. And following the Christmas 1932 heart attack, doctors ordered him on bed rest for six months. They're like, stop fucking. I don't even think he was fucking. I think Irving Thalberg was like, not one of the fuckers. But how do you get a heart attack? Just watching? <laughs> He got so excited. Maybe just knowing what was going on. He's like, oh, the fixers are off. What am I going to do <laughs> when these stories come out? Yeah. Maybe he was just so hyped up for the Christmas party. Yeah. He's like, look at Mickey Rooney. Go. <laughs> <laughs> also, wait, I think Mickey Rooney was still a child. Oh, he was? I maybe. don't know. That I'm just maybe names out. When Who was- knows? Mickey Rooney's insane. Well, okay. Mickey Rooney's like the type of person who's like, I lost my virginity at eight. <laughs> he and, is and he'd brag about he'd it he'd brag about and he, it instead of being like that's very concerning Mickey Rooney wait that's child abuse yeah, he'd be Mickey like, Rooney <laughs> unless and, it was another child which we don't want to know <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Mickey Rooney he was mentioned is he like, dead dude I was just wondering that <laughs> um, I feel like I feel, I feel like, like he died because I feel like I made a joke about it or something. <laughs> like he a, did. He, he did. And okay. he definitely died in the Twitter era because I'm sure both of us were, gave some insane tribute to him. Yeah. He died in 2014. And he was like 100. He was he was 93. Okay. So, so he was still a child in 32. Yes. He was 12 years old in 1932. Well, he could have fucked at 12. He did probably. He was crazy. No. He was like probably effing a starlet at this party. This That's sick. <laughs> that's so sick. I do too, but that's how it was back then, Rachel. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about him because there's like a long section in this book about Judy Garland, which obviously I'm not going to get into because we talked about all this stuff yeah. in our Judy Garland episodes, but Mickey Rooney is, of course... We got to do an episode on him. We have to do a Mickey Rooney episode. Because his biography or memoirs are crazy. And it's like so juicy. No, my great grandpa worked with him on one of his earliest movies. 
like the horse ones. No, the mid, oh. the mid a Midsummer Night's Dream when he uh, when fuck. he was Puck. So uh, we got to do an episode on him. But he's like, insane. If you watch that movie, he's like eight years old, but he's talking. He's he's always talked like a sixty year old man. No, these kids back then grew up fast. Like it's illegal. What happened to them? <laughs> like I'm not even kidding. No, like, but this guy had like a smoker's voice at age yeah. eight. No, it's Why? crazy. Because he's probably was in vaudeville since he was like one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like on stage smoking cigars. No, it was like, he was like probably at this party, which is really demented. It's crazy that he lived so long because he probably did so much crap as a kid. Like, Okay, he was, oh my God, he was 15 in the film adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream. He's small. He's very small in that movie. But he's a small guy even as an adult. He was like probably like f- under five feet tall, I think. What a wild person. And he got so much pussy. That's How? what's crazy. How? Because even as a young guy, he wasn't like hot. No, remember he bagged Ava Gardner? Yeah, it's crazy. With his charm. <laughs> he was like so horny. She but he's fell kind for of it. annoying. Like what? <laughs> it wouldn't work on me, but who knows? <laughs> Who knows what it would have been like in person? That's true. Because he's a he's cocky. Do you know he's what I mean? Very cocky, and I feel like he's the kind of guy where you meet him at a party, and he's really annoying at first, but something about him charms you, and he you end up going to bed with him. I also think he bangs the hottest women, so you're kind of complimented that he's going after you. Yes, you know you're like Lana Turner, Ava Gardner, and me. Well, okay. You, I guess. I guess. I gotta do it. <laughs> you need to see what it's all about. You gotta. Yeah. It's a, you gotta do the dick inspection. It's probably surprisingly better than you would think. Too. Well, because I think he's really into it. I think he tries. And he wants to be good. He wants to be the best. That's like a point of pride for him. Absolutely. Why'd this guy get so much? Yeah. Anyway, um, we'll definitely do an episode on him. I'm sure there's some fucking insane stories. So after Irving Dahlberg had this heart attack that sent him to bed for six months, Louis B. Mayer was like, that's fucking cool because he wanted to push Dahlberg out. What an evil bitch. This is like literally a plot line from Melrose Place. Well, he's like, it's like Diabolique. He's trying to give him a heart attack. (laughs) He's like popping around the corners and scaring him. Yes. It's Oh, gross. So he's glad, he's glad that like his basically second in command at MGM is out so he can, he can like have more power and be like the number one. Yeah. Um, he then, Mayor then hired Walter Wanger who, and also his own son-in-law, David O. Selznick. To, oh. He hired both these guys to replace Thalberg and Thalberg was devastated and Mayer delivered him this news while he lay in his hospital bed, Ugh. which is deranged. Yeah, what a jerk. He's such an asshole. And Thalberg was like, felt betrayed. Right. Meanwhile, Edmund Goulding couldn't stay out of trouble in London. Uh-oh. He was arrested and charged with lewd conduct <gasps> when police raided an orgy that he was hosting. We told you no orgies. <laughs> Not even in I London. I like that he can't resist an orgy. He's got to have it. He's addicted to orgies. Oh, my. That sounds so 
that's such a hard addiction. It's like so much planning. Because how, so how many, you got to find a lot of people who are willing to have an orgy or go to one. You got to have like a lot of, I'm guessing things you need for an orgy, like lube. (laughs) Like what do you, does everyone bring their own stuff? Does he have like the, the um, BDSM stuff hanging around for use? Are there like little sections in the orgy with yeah. different things set up? What's the infrastructure like? Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And where is he finding these people? Is he going to sex clubs? Is yeah, it's he... not like there was like the internet. We could right, just go put an ad on field. <laughs> no, it's way easier to find and go to an orgy now. This was like... A lot of planning. Yeah. You had to know people. Absolutely. Um, anyway, he was charged with lewd conduct, but he was only made to pay a fine. But the problem was now he couldn't get back into the U.S. Oh. Like, you stay here. Yeah. We're, we're too good for you. <laughs> <laughs> MGM had to intervene to get him back so he could get back to work. So Mayor had U.S. Attorney General Mabel Willebrandt on his payroll so he Mabel Willebrand. <laughs> what an she, old name. <laughs> Mabel Willebrand. He had her on the payroll. So he gave her a call and was like, get my director back in the country. I like how this is their prize director. And I can't even tell you. I've I know the name. But, but like what this guy what do? The, he's not like a world famous director that everyone would know. Yeah. They're like desperate for him. Yeah, they really want this. It might have just been about also control for mayor. True. He's my director. And he doesn't want the government interfering. You've got to keep them in their place. Yeah, get this little pervert back at the studio. He's my pervert. (laughs) He's mine. When Joan Crawford decided to divorce Douglas Fairbanks Jr., he became irritated and went to MGM to threaten them that he would expose the affair between his wife and Clark Gable. (gasps) Oh. Eddie Mannix reminded Fairbanks Jr. that he also had numerous affairs, and he wouldn't want those coming out if he tried to destroy their stars. Good point. He's like, why are you coming in here? Yeah, go back, mama boy. (laughs) You're fucking on the side, too. Yeah. You're not even one of our stars. No. We could destroy you. Yeah. He tried. And Louis B. Mayer was like, yeah, and you wouldn't want people to get the idea that Joan Crawford's cheated on you or divorced you because you couldn't satisfy her. Ooh. Like, that's how we'll spin it. Yeah. She had to get a real lover, Clark Gable. Yeah. So Fairbanks obeyed, and the divorce went through without incident in 1933. Meanwhile, Clark Gable's teeth became (sighs) infected. Oh, no. While he was filming a movie. He was filming The Dancing Lady with Joan Crawford. And this was a serious infection. He developed pyorrhea. Pyorrhea? What the fuck is pyorrhea? He was eating her ass. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you get when you eat ass. (laughs) He had to go to the hospital because this was a potentially deadly infection. That sounds scary. I wouldn't want any Rhea in my (laughs) (laughs) I don't want it. So the studio rushed him to a private hospital where most of Gable's teeth were removed and replaced with dentures. Whoa. That's why we see that crazy before and after with him. Oh, right. Because remember, like, his teeth got way better. Yeah. Those are good dentures. 
He got yeah. top of the line. He got top of the line dentures. Gable was out of commission for months while he recovered. Yeah. And he probably had to get used to talking with these new teeth. <laughs> um, and Howard Strickling told the press that Gable had was like recovering from an app, like an appendix. Right. He had to get his appendix taken out. Also, a gallbladder operation and tonsillitis. He just threw them all in there. He threw like <laughs> all these things in there that Clark Gable was in the hospital for. And there is like so many newspaper articles like Clark Gable's in the hospital. He got his gallbladder removed. Because they can't say he's got Rhea. They can't say pyrrhea he, he in has pyorrhea. He's a sex symbol. No one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they can't say that now he has dentures. No. Because he's like, what, 30? Yeah. That's pretty young to lose all your teeth. His breath must have smelled, right? <laughs> Dude, he must have had the funkiest mouth. Well, I was I feel like there's several old Hollywood stars where it's like people didn't want to kiss them. They're like, their fucking breath. <laughs> it was like so rancid and bad. I don't know what it is about Clark Gable, but just looking at him, I know exactly what that guy's breath smells like. Like, like it is gross. It's like old coffee. It's old coffee. Old coffee, Paul Malls. It's like. old coffee and um the tub of loose tobacco. It's just kind of rank. It's it's damp. It's very wet, soggy tobacco <laughs> in a bucket. And Folgers. Ugh. But like old Folgers. Yeah. Really old. Really? He keeps reheating. No, he keeps... <laughs> yeah. It's not good. I, I just take one look at him and I know he has bad breath. Yeah. People were like spraying his mouth. He did like the bananca. He invented bananca. <laughs> People would spray it in his mouth. I'm going to start that rumor that Clark Gable invented bananca. Yeah. I'm going to present it as like a piece of trivia. Remember, to... but I used to live for that. Dude. I loved it. Where did it go? I never see that anymore. Remember the little strips you would put on your tongue? Well, they would that dissolve? was after bananca. Yeah, but like that kind of thing was bigger. And we talked about this where mints, you people stopped innovating mints. But we, I don't feel like people even use them anymore, really. No, it's sort of like what if we wrote a show much like in the vein of For All Mankind, we did an alternate history show where our culture never stopped developing mints, breath mints. Ooh, yeah. Because at some point in the 2000s, once we got to those little like, acid tab looking mints. Yeah. And then the little like bursty bath bead looking mints. Yeah. We just stopped innovating breath mints after that. Yeah. But you, what we, if we, we never sh- stopped? We should have like um one that cryogenically freezes your mouth. Yes. That would be good. I mean, we could come up with like all sorts of different kinds of mechanisms to get your breath fresh. I used to love that burn though. The binaca burn. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the It felt so good. It just felt cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, gone now. Mm. Jen, what is it? Jen Zoomers? They don't even know. Binaco was perfume you sprayed in your mouth. Like that's what it was. It was mint flavor. It was mint perfume. Yeah. But it was very industrial. It had it was high tech. Like that was a sh- real cold. It had like Freon. <laughs> Dude, I don't even want to know what's it's probably in Binaka. Like, Cancer is. <laughs> we're like that's probably why I'm so stupid. Yeah, it was like a car. We were like all huffing mint, and it was very normal but for we, children. No, <laughs> yeah, I was like 11 years old, just like. Tsh, tsh. 
And I would just do it all the time. It yeah, was like it a was tick. fun. <laughs> it was a nervous tick. It was a nerve. Binaka is a nervous tick. Oh my God. So um Joan Crawford got bored waiting around for Clark Gable to recover from his denture recovery. Yeah. And so she began hooking up with another actor from the dancing lady. Ooh. Francho Tone. Not fr- oh Francho. Oof. The French Francho Tone. Yeah. He's she- French, right? Yeah. I, I don't I don't know if he is. That name though. How is your name Fran- Francho? And you would it be too obvious? <laughs> you're French. I'm looking this up right now. He had to have been French. I know we talked about him in our Joan Crawford episode. He's from Niagara Falls. That's not France. But what's it? Oh, Tone was a French Canadian. Oh, French Irish, Canadian. English ancestry. His ancestor was the nobleman Gilbert Leon de Basque. Okay. Anyway. Um, so she begins hooking up with this guy who's like her other co-star in The Dancing Lady. They would get married two years later in 1935. And that's a very famous tr- love triangle. Yes. With her and Betty Davis. And we talked about this. They couldn't get enough of this guy. Imagine fighting so, over Francho. What's so great about him? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Even before they were married, Joan Crawford was occupied with this new relationship. So her affair with Clark Gable just fell by the wayside. On top of that, Mayer was loaning Gable out to Columbia Pictures mm. and Gable was like embarrassed. He's like Columbia Pictures. Yeah. They're like the lame studio. MGM is the stars. No, Columbia was like the sad one. Yeah. But he wound up making one of his most famous movies at Columbia that year. It happened one night. Oh yeah. So that was good for him. His salary at this time was also less than Joan Crawford's, and he didn't like that. Oof. So Gable was drinking heavily. Mm. Now, according to the book, Clark Gable got into a drunken car accident in Hollywood one night in 1933 and killed a woman. <gasps> oh, my like God. Like, he ran over a pedestrian. This happened a lot. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of c- celebrities back then that just drove drunk. And injured and killed people. People would like drink martinis while they were driving their cars. Yeah. On Mulholland. On Mulholland Drive, (laughs) which is so dangerous. Gable, of course, called Howard Strickling for help. The police and the DA were paid off as well as the victim's family. The studio apparently got a mid-level MGM employee to take the fall for the vehicular manslaughter. Oh, my God. And do a year in jail in exchange for a huge increase in his salary when he was released. Now, that's that's a theory. That is like one of the theories that is out there that this happened. That's dedication to the job. Yeah, because like there's a dead woman. They have to like who died in a car accident. So they get some mid-level guy at MGM to take the fall. With a promise that he'll be set. He'll be set for life yeah. when he gets out of jail. Now, there are no newspaper records that I could find of Gable being involved in any kind of car accident in 1933. However, Snopes claimed that in June of 1933, the Los Angeles Examiner reported Clark Gable getting into a car accident and hitting a eucalyptus tree. <gasps> I couldn't find. Any like there wasn't a Los Angeles Examiner article for 1933 involving Clark Gable 
at a, on our newspaper service. So I didn't see that with my own eyes. This is just printed out on Snopes. Yeah. And I did find reports from a 1945 car crash in the newspapers involving yeah. Clark Gable. So this is... This is the report from the Los Angeles Times reported on Monday, March 26, 1945. They said Clark Gable had been in a, quote, freak accident on Saturday night in Brentwood. So Gable was traveling east on Sunset when he entered a roundabout at Mm. Bristol Avenue. Those are hard. This is like, Especially when you're drunk. (laughs) And we don't have like a lot of those here. No, but they're popping up more and I have to put my thinking cap on. Why are we doing this? I I don't. I think they could be good, but you just can't throw them up because no one knows how to use them. I don't like when it's a surprise. No, it's scary. And I like it if there's no cars, then I could be like, okay, I can take my time. But I feel a lot of pressure. Well, there was another car, and Clark Gable was like probably drunk. Yeah, didn't say that in the paper, but it's he's probably drunk. People just drink and drive. Back then. And not wear seatbelts. Yeah. There weren't seatbelts. No, it was like not a thing. It was like, okay. Yeah. I gotta get home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was in Brentwood. He was probably leaving that big boat restaurant in Santa Monica on the pier. Oh, they loved that fucking restaurant. Remember that place? Yes. Every celebrity goes there. They loved it. So he's traveling east on Sunset when he entered the roundabout on Bristol Avenue And another driver approached from the other side of the circle. And Clark, this driver became confused as he was coming towards Gable's car. So it's like two cars coming towards each other in the roundabout. Oh, no. In an effort to avoid crashing into the car, Gable drove up onto a curb and hit a tree. (sighs) He sustained a bruised chest and laceration on his leg that required stitches. The LA Times said that this report had been provided to them by MGM. Okay, so we know it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) So this is what was officially printed in the paper. I love when they describe something as a freak accident when it's like, that's drunk driving. (laughs) That's not something that just happened. A freak accident (laughs) is like a branch suddenly falls and impales you. Yeah. That's a freak accident. This is at the best driver error, right? Like This isn't freak. Yeah. So this is, again, this, this is from 1945. Now, the, as, as for the alleged 1933 vehicular manslaughter case, the lack of hard evidence in that story makes it incredibly hard to verify. Though the head of Paramount at the time, B.P. Schulberg, did say this was a true story. He's like, yeah. Like he did an interview with EJ Fleming and he's like, yeah, Clark Gable killed a woman. Yeah. And also another guy claimed it was true, Colonel Barney Oldfield. Hmm? He was a former press agent, among other things. He was like a press agent and a military guy. And a colonel. And a colonel. Seems like a downgrade. (laughs) (laughs) And he said the story was true also. I mean, I buy it. It's not like out of the realm of possibility because that happened. Yeah, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility, but there is a crazier conspiracy coming Ooh, that I think is not true. I don't believe is true, but it's we're going to get into it. I'll be, I'll be the decision-making factor. <laughs> Let me decide. EJ Fleming also notes that there's no... He, he also like 
says like, yeah, there's no newspaper evidence for any kind of Clark Gable car accident taking place in June of 1933, nor are there any reports about the MGM employee going to jail for vehicular manslaughter. But he does believe that a vehicular manslaughter incident that was reported in Hollywood in September of 1933 was actually committed by Clark Gable. Oh. So... Just a random one that no one was attached to. Well, no, not not a nobody. I'm going to tell you about this it wasn't Clark Gable. Okay. But he but EJ Fleming believes that Clark Gable was the one who actually committed this and it was attributed to someone else. Oh. Okay. On September 28th, 1933, local papers reported that John Houston, <gasps> the 26-year-old son of film actor Walter Houston, yeah, and future dad of Angelica, struck and killed a 24-year-old woman named Tosca Rulian with his car. Rulian was the wife of Brazilian film actor Raul Rulian. Okay. So this is reported in the papers. No, this is a famous incident. Yes, yes. This case was brought to a grand jury, but it was ruled to be an accident. The DA declined to press charges. I mean, this was like from everything that was described and reported on and obviously investigated in the grand jury. This was a tragic accident that happened. Right. The husband, Raul, did sue John Houston's dad, Walter, for $250,000. Now, E.J. Fleming goes on to give his theories about why it's actually Clark Gable that killed Tosca in this incident and not John Houston. Okay. He's like, there's a lot of suspicious things that don't line up. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, this is like a big part of John Houston's like early of course, biography. It's pretty f- well known incident. He was really traumatized by this yes. event. Um, so it's wild to have someone be like, "That didn't even happen to you." This is Clark Gable did that. I mean, that's pretty interesting because it's not like John Houston is a nobody, even though he wasn't who he was at that time. He's still the son of a famous actor. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they would no. have picked like they did with the. Um, whatever low-level staffer, that that would be what they went with. No, that's why this is so crazy to have this theory. But I love it. Let's hear it. So this is, it's very convoluted, okay. his theories. But one of them is that John Houston later would go on to work for BP Shulman at Paramount, and Shulman is one of the guys who said he swore Clark Gable killed a lady with his car. So he's like, I... You know, he just thinks like, oh, well, that's how he knows it was Clark Gable that did it. Because when John Houston went to work for him later, they talked. Okay. So BP Shulman was a Clark Gable truther? He's a Clark Gable truther. So he's talking about this incident. And he used to be the head of Paramount. So he has a connection to Houston. Because Houston went to work for him. And Houston was like, God, fucking, I didn't do that. It was Clark Gable. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Exactly. That's interesting, though. He also has suspicions. This is a very flimsy theory to me. He also has suspicions of Houston's successful writing, directing, and acting career following the accident, seemingly forgetting that Houston was the child of an established film actor. So obviously he would have a leg up. Also very talented. And very talented. Like It's not like he wouldn't have gotten there probably anyhow. No, he... Like, what... 
Yeah, that's more flimsy. That's a very flimsy. You could say he got his first break shortly after. Like there could be, because obviously even a Nepo baby needs an in. But he didn't get his first break shortly after. Yeah, because I'm he, just saying he could have said he could have found something more like that. Yeah, because I think John Houston, if I recall correctly, he like went to Europe for a while to like clear his head after this incident. I think also like it could have been like if you're trying to make this theory work, it could have been like he wanted to get into directing, and he finally got a shot at directing, like. If you right. want to make something like that work. Right. But the reality was he was already, like he, he had had some low level screenwriting jobs at this point. He right. was just more of a, like a playwright and a screenwriter mm-hmm. at this, at this time, but he was still, you know, he had an in, his dad was Walter Houston. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. He had the end and he had talent to back it up. So he was on that road. No, EJ Fleming is like convinced yeah, he's see he's he's got some probably better ones, but he's he wants to throw in everything to make it seem more believable. I think. Yeah, like he has some better reasoning. I just he gives like a whole. He's like, well, why was this and why was that? And it honestly, like, I tried to put it into words, but it was very convoluted. The one thing, he, the one question he has to answer is, why would John Houston agree to this? Yeah, it makes no sense. Like that's the only thing he has to worry about answering, and it doesn't seem like he has any answer for that. No, he makes it seem like Louis B. Mayer promised him a f- successful career, which would only make sense if this guy was like a nobody who wasn't even talented. Yeah, and why not get a nobody? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Don't complicate it because you can just pay a nobody off. Also, I feel like, to be honest, John Houston would have admitted this at some point. Yeah. Because he was a little crazy. It's honestly just wild. I just keep going back to, like, imagine, like, you did something horrible in your past and you were had so much shame about it and it, like, really fucked with you. Obviously, like, this is a horrible tragedy that happened and it was it was a complete accident. But then there was one guy who was, like, gaslighting you about it. They're like, you didn't <laughs> even do that. I'm just, I'm like trying to make it work because that's how you got on these conspiracies. Cause it's like, well, what if he was in the car with Gable and Gable was there, but not a part of the accident? So he lied about Gable just not being there. Do you know what I mean? But he still caused the accident. Well, that would make more sense. Yeah. Like this guy went too, he, he went, he flew too close to the sun. He should have just picked a more reasonable conspiracy. Yeah. It would make sense. Like, oh, Gable was there and he ran on foot. And John had to lie that he was even involved. Like, yeah, that could be a believable thing. That's more believable to me than Clark Gable did it. Yeah. And also why wouldn't Raul, the husband the film actor, because he had some pull in Brazil. He was their Valentino. Right. He could have got his money and then been like, and. Yeah. Or like on his deathbed. Yeah. And it was Clark Gable. Right. <laughs> That's his nine or, words. Or he could have even just floated that theory that he believed that or that like, oh, many people are saying. Yeah. He could have many people are saying it. Mm. You got to float the rumor. If you signed an NDA, just put it out there. <laughs> know where it came from right um anyway this is a good place to take a break we'll be right back 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I have had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Speaking of drunken behavior, (laughs) Spencer Tracy Uh was signed to MGM in 1935 after he was fired from Fox Studios for his alcoholism. I mean, as a result of his alcoholism. Yes. He was wild. He, yeah. We might have to do an episode on him because he had some incidents. Oh, yeah, I bet. 
The final straw occurred when he assaulted director Harry Lackman <gasps> during an alcoholic binge. Yeah, They're he, like, you're out of here. He's a, he really drank. He drank a lot. But Tracy was a popular actor, and so Irving Thalberg signed him to MGM. They're like, we're going to take this risk. Yeah, why not? Our directors are beefier. <laughs> they can stand up to him. He was apparently drunk during that meeting with Thalberg. Like, they met at a bar. Hmm, I respect it. (laughs) (laughs) MGM would have their hands full controlling their new star's reputation. Howard Strickling apparently organized a Tracy squad. Oh, damn. To manage him. So the squad, the Tracy squad, was made up of bodyguards, a doctor, a personal driver. and, And like EMTs and ambulances to respond just follow him around. <laughs> Basically. You know you've got a drinking problem <laughs> if an ambulance fell ashore. <laughs> That's a sign. Yeah. Um these like they were they they would respond respond to so-called Tracy calls. Like, oh, we got a Tracy call. Oh, the stress. <laughs> Even the local bars were instructed to call Howard Strickling. If Spencer Tracy Tracy even entered one of their establishments. Damn. Like even before anything happened, he would like Tracy's here. He's, he's here. He's at the bar. We're keeping an eye on him. Oh my God. It wasn't a question of if he would get drunk and cause a scene, but when. So they had to have the squad on standby. Oh my god. Sometimes like the squad would be like waiting outside the bar. They just because they don't want to risk waiting five minutes to get in. Yeah. Like driving there. Yeah. E.J. Fleming claimed that when Gene Harlow died in 1937, Spencer Tracy was devastated and responded to the news by walking off the set of his film, Captain's Courageous. E.J. Fleming said that the next day Tracy got drunk and got into a fist fight with his brother, Carol, at his suite at the Beverly Wilshire. The hotel then alerted the Tracy squad who broke up the fight when they arrived. Spencer Tracy was about to throw his brother off the balcony. Now, Fleming continued that Tracy was taken to a sanitarium and the filming of Captain's Courageous was put on hold. The press was apparently told that Tracy was sick with pneumonia. Now, the main problem with Fleming's story Mm. in this book is that Gene Harlow died after the movie had finished filming. Oh. So what set was he walking off of? Not Captain's Courageous. Hmm. In fact, the movie premiere for Captain's Courageous took place a month before she died. Hmm. Were they refilming some scenes? <laughs> After the premiere? I don't know. I couldn't find a single newspaper article talking about any film delay in this time period regarding to... Captain's Courageous or any other film Tracy was starring in immediately following Gene Harlow's death. Yeah. So this story seems like made up or like mixed up with other stories. I think, yeah, maybe he wasn't filming something, but maybe he was at MGM or, you know, something else. Whatever it was, the filming of Captain's Courageous and Gene Harlow's death don't add up. Yeah. So it's, it's not to say that I don't believe that Spencer... Tracy was violently drunk at the Beverly Wilshire, but I think the specifics about this incident are false. I don't think he needed an excuse to drink and get violent. Yeah, he didn't need Gene Harlow's death to drink. And maybe he did on that day, but it's just another day. 
also. <laughs> I did, however, find a puff piece written about Tracy by Howard Strickling in the Oakland Tribune from June 1937. Oh. So that is around the time Jean Harlow died. There's this puff piece that's printed, and it's written by Howard Strickling. Mm. Spencer Tracy's alcoholism continued to progress, and in early 1940s... I thought that was... You were reading the puff piece. I was like, that's not a great way to start it. (laughs) (laughs) That's not in the piece. That's mine. I wrote that. I wrote that. Spencer... So... (laughs) So... His alcoholism continued to progress, and in the early 1940s, MGM began supplying him with amphetamines to keep him alert. (laughs) I feel like people were way too willy-nilly with amphetamines, thinking this is like um, such an old-school way of thought that you think... You think, oh, it's like it's like a cup of coffee. It's going to sober them up. No, just saying from personal experience... That's going to make you crazy. Well, it's also this like uppers, downers. That's You just give them uppers or downers when they have to do the one or the other. It's like, that's not healthy to right. maintain long term. And I'm saying it's going to make you crazy because if you're an alcoholic, you're going to be abusing those amphetamines. Yeah. You're not taking like a medical dose. No. Yeah. You're just popping them willy nilly. Yes. And it's not good. So... That didn't even stop him from drinking because I'm just saying some people, many people are saying that some people do cocaine or amphetamine so they can drink more. You're just drinking around the clock now. And it's also um, probably not great for his violent side to be on a lot of speed. Yeah, he's like looking out the window <laughs> thinking there's helicopters out there. The FBI is going to come uh, through his door. Yeah. But Tracy was still a top earner for MGM and a critical success. Right. Like, he's one of the best actors at this time. But in 1955, MGM had had it officially. (gasps) Whoa. With Tracy during the filming of Tribute to a Bad Man in Colorado. Mm. They're like, this guy. (laughs) He's the bad man. (laughs) He's the bad man. So first... Tracy arrived to Colorado over a week late. What? Like they were set to film on June 2nd and he arrives on June 11th. Strolled right in. He strolled right into Colorado. Then on like the first day of filming, he's like, I'm going to take a lunch break. Uh Uh-oh. And he took a really long lunch break. He took a 10 martini lunch break. (laughs) More. He disappeared for a week. Oh my God. He literally walked off set to go to lunch and he just never came back. What a character. (laughs) (laughs) character. How do you do that? (laughs) He wouldn't arrive back on set until a week later. Howard Strickling had to get in touch with Catherine Hepburn, obviously his partner, who at the time was in Australia, and he had to call her to convince him to come back to set. Imagine... Having to be responsible for that kind of behavior. He's like, Spencer! (laughs) Stop drinking! Get back to set! What are you doing? It's like, don't put it on her. Leave her alone. She's in Australia having fun. (laughs) She, so Tracy returned to set on June 19th, but he was being difficult. Oh, no. He said he wanted them to rebuild the entire set at a (gasps) lower altitude. Wow. 
He's like, we need to just... He's like, I'm not feeling it. I can't breathe. <laughs> he couldn't breathe. And he was complaining of altitude sickness, which I don't doubt that's like a real, obviously, issue. But this was probably like cost a lot of money to build this set. And he's like, no, we need to like have a new location to shoot Well, this. he's probably also hung over. He was probably like... <laughs> All the time. <laughs> I imagine him being like, can we shoot this in LA? Yeah. Can we... Can we shoot this at the studio? I mean, why did they do it there anyhow? Who knows? They wanted that authentic feel. They wanted him to have altitude sickness. It's part of the role. Yeah. What's this called? Confessions of a teenage bad man. man. A teenage bad man. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he only did four days of filming (gasps) before director Robert Wise fired him. Wow. He's like, you're out. (laughs) You're drunk. Howard Strickling flew to Colorado to attempt to repair the situation, but it was too late. Strickling then fired Tracy from MGM. Whoa. I mean, and he went like independent. But I mean, it wouldn't be too long after then before the studio system broke apart anyway. So So he had a good run. Yeah. Later that same year, Eddie Mannix's wife, Bernice, died in a car crash. Whoa. In Palm Gable. Stock car gable <laughs> again. Again, this is the one car crash in this book. EJ Fleming does not attribute to Clark Gable. That's horrible. It's horrible. She was thirty-seven years oh old. Oh my gosh! So super young. In November of nineteen thirty-seven, Bernice was riding as a passenger in Al Werthelmer's car. Werthelmer owned the Dunes nightclub in Palm Springs. Ooh. It was 2.30 a.m., and the pair were driving home from a bridge party when Werthelmer swerved to avoid another car. <gasps> Their car flipped, pinning Bernice underneath oh, no. and killing her instantly. Werthelmer survived but sustained broken ribs as well as fractures to the shoulder and arm. The Los Angeles Evening Express reported that Bernice had been in Palm Springs for a weekend visit. E.J. Fleming says that Bernice, however, had been spending the last several years living in Palm Springs while her husband lived back in L.A., where he continued to carry on with other women. Mm-hmm. So Bernice, as we mentioned before in previous episodes, was a devout Catholic. She didn't want a divorce, and she was sort of just hanging on to this marriage by a thread. Right. And was like, fuck it, I'm just going to move to Palm Springs while my husband just fucking lives with other women. Yeah. I guess. Really sad. So for the last three years, Eddie Mannix had been in a relationship with former Ziegfeld girl, Tony Lanier. (gasps) Uh Uh-oh. And um, when Bernice died, at Bernice's funeral, Spencer Tracy and Clark Gable were among the pallbearers. Oh, wow. I'm surprised Fleming didn't make a connection there. (laughs) Yeah, they were whispering over the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> Fleming says that Bernice Mannix was planning on filing a divorce from her husband after all. Like she had finally reached her limit where her faith was, it didn't matter at that point. Yeah, she's like, fuck this. Yeah, because he was, Eddie Mannix was a real shithead, obviously. He was very abusive to her. Well, it doesn't even seem like he's pretending to be in a marriage with her. Right. Everyone knew Tony as the girlfriend, and he was taking her on like the trips and right. it's, going places. It's too humiliating. So she probably talked to a priest who was like, it's okay. 
Finally. Yeah, he made an exception. Yeah. I didn't find any information in any of my newspaper sources about her filing for divorce. But according to Fleming, she had filed for divorce in the days leading up to this car accident. Right. And he speculates that her death was no accident at all. Oh. Oh. And that she was going to more publicly expose... Eddie. Eddie Manic. <gasps> I mean... Now that conspiracy, I do believe. Because he's a bad guy. He's and a if he, bad guy. if she won't divorce him, that's the only way he can get it. Right. Is if she dies... Like he's a widow, a widower. No, he didn't want the. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think he would have minded the divorce, but part of the like suit in the divorce was going to be citing his cruelty, right? And he's a fixer, yeah. So mm-hmm. he couldn't have that stuff getting out. British actor Lionel Atwill was not an MGM star. But he partied with a lot of MGM stars. He was also famous for his weekly sex parties. Did they have like competing sex parties? Like I'm going to Atwell's. Yeah, which orgy are you going to this week? You going to, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That he, seems like there'd only be one going on in town. No, there was like a multiple. Hmm. Joan Crawford, Clark Gable, Marlena Dietrich, and Eddie Mannix were said to have attended this guy's parties. I was on board till Eddie Mannix... I know. It's like, who invited this guy? Yeah. Well, in 1941, a 16-year-old girl named Sylvia Homelane said that she had gotten pregnant after attending Atwell's Christmas party. Christmas party? He had a Christmas orgy. Oh, my God. Authorities became aware of the sex parties at Atwell's home after Sylvia named the adults who took her there. (gasps) Oh, my God. So, like, this girl... Files a complaint that she had gotten pregnant from this party, and she's like, "These are two adults who took me there." And then they're like, "Wait a minute, this was at a celebrity's house." Wait, so two adults took her to an orgy? Two adults took this sixteen-year-old girl to an orgy. And who is she to them? We do we know? Sixteen-year-old Sylvia is the roommate of thirty-year-old Virginia Lopez. What? Which is very <laughs> confusing. Six, this girl, this 16-year-old girl, she came from Minnesota and she had dreams of being a star. Got it. She sort of was like a runaway. I see. And, and then she, she just moved in with this woman. She moves in with this 30-year-old woman named Virginia Lopez. Okay. And then Virginia Lopez has a boyfriend named Adolf LaRue. And, and they got an invite to the Christmas orgy. Somehow they got an invite to this Christmas orgy. He's 26. Okay. So both of them were arrested and charged after Sylvia makes this complaint to the police. Right. LaRue pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge of contributing to the delinquency of a minor because Sylvia said that LaRue had molested her oh my God. during another incident at Virginia Lopez's apartment, which is where she lived. Right. So Lopez and LaRue were said to have lured the teenager to several wild parties at Lionel Atwell's home where she was assaulted again at the parties <gasps> on more than one occasion. An inquest into Atwill's party was launched. The LA Times reported that prominent men and women in the film industry had been called to testify before a grand jury. Virginia Lopez claimed that she was, quote, being persecuted to cover up a number of 
prominent Hollywood people. So Virginia Lopez claimed that this was like a conspiracy right. against her because it involved powerful people. Lionel Atwill testified before the grand jury, and he emphatically denied all charges that any improper events had occurred in his home or that any indecencies took place in the presence of Sylvia. The grand jury moved to not indict him. They're like, we can't... Because Lopez's story was, like, kind of changing. Right. Like, they couldn't find... It was, like, lack of evidence. So they moved not to indict at will for these parties. The jury foreman stated, quote, It is indeed regrettable that the names of certain prominent people were bandied about so freely and apparently without facts to back up the assertions. Virginia Lopez was, however, convicted for aiding in the delinquency of a minor in regards to the assault that took place at her apartment. So they did find her and her boyfriend guilty of assaulting this girl. While the MGM stars remained unscathed in the wake of revelations about Lionel Atwill's sex parties, Lionel Atwill did not remain unscathed. (gasps) The following year, the case was reopened, and he was indicted on perjury charges for the testimony he made in the grand jury hearing the previous year. Atwill was being accused of lying about showing lewd photographs and movies at this party in his home while a minor was in attendance at the party. Okay. Sylvia. The names of the lewd films that he showed were called The Plumber's Wife and The Daisy Chain. Ooh. That's crazy. (laughs) The Long Beach Sun reported that Virginia Lopez claimed that Atwill served Sylvia liquor and that she had witnessed Sylvia in a compromising position with producer Eugene Frank. That That's not on his Wikipedia bio anywhere. No. I looked into this. I mean, this, his name came up once in this Long Beach Sun article. Right. And this was based on a claim that Virginia Lopez made. Because now she's sort of like naming prominent people. Right. She, um, in referring to her conviction from the previous year, she claimed that she was being punished for knowing too much about powerful people. Also not outside of the realm of, po- of possibility. No. Atwell's attorney told the press that his client was the victim of a persecution because he had refused to accept a $10,000 bribe. So Atwell's also claiming that this is like kind of a conspiracy. Yeah. But his attorney never named who or why gave like tried to bribe him. Right. He just said he's he's like he refused a bribe, so he's being punished also. In the end, Atwill did plead guilty for showing lewd films at his house while there was a minor present. None of the other claims were like proven. Right. Um he claimed that he actually had lied about showing lewd movies to protect the guests who had attended the party. He's like, well, I was just protecting them. Yeah. I didn't want to get anyone in trouble. He still maintained that no immoral acts took place at this party. Okay. 
Anyway, that's our final story. That's the final story. That's the final story for today. Okay. I'm not doing a part four. Okay. But if you want to read the book, there's so many more stories that I did not get to. Maybe we'll do some of them for a Patreon episode in the future. As I said before, I, I made a little, a short list of other like beefier episodes that will be about singular people yeah. that involve Hollywood fixing. Yeah. We've talked about some of them. Yeah. They're famous. They're very famous. So I, I obviously didn't include some of those. Right. Because they deserve their own episodes. Thelma Todd. Of course. That's another one. What's it called? White Heat. Was she was she in White Heat? Was that wait? Was she was White? She was something. the ice cream blonde. I know, but she had like a nickname. The ice cream blonde. I think she had another one. Or White maybe heat? I'm thinking. I saw a movie about her starring Lonnie Anderson. What? It was a TV that's movie. That's not. That's <laughs> not good casting. But it was a good TV movie. <laughs> should we recap it? We should recap it. I would Lonnie love to... Anderson. Yeah, she played Thelma Todd, and I think it was called like White Heat or something. I can't remember. Isn't that the name of an old school movie? I know that's the name of a Madonna I song. I could be like thinking of a White diff- Heat is from 1949. It's both a movie and a 1986 Madonna song. Okay, the, what is... What is the Thelma Todd? Maybe it's just called the Thelma Todd story. I think she had some kind of nickname. I thought it was just the ice cream blonde. I'm looking into this, Desi. Okay. The ice cream. Oh, hot toddy. Hot toddy. That's what I was thinking of. So it is. We got some heat. Some heat. There's hot there. Yeah. Hot toddy. She has a wild story. No, we got to do that story. We. I might have a book on her. I think I was just looking into it recently. Um, well, because we were talking about what we're going to do next. But um, yeah, we should definitely recap that movie. That <laughs> that's like a that's a golden. I, I think I just saw it on like a random. Oh my God. I'm looking at a poster, the cover art for this. I'm sorry. Lana, Lonnie Anderson looks nothing like Thelma No, she looks like Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> it's like very in a, modern. In a bad way. Yeah. Oh my God. This is... It was premiered on NBC May 5th, 1991. Robert Davi is Lucky Luciano. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. No, it's... This is so bad. This is like the golden era still of TV movies, though. Like when they were still doing these TV movies. We need to bring this era back. Because now we just have high-end prestige TV but it's versions. But what we get now instead of the one-shot TV movie, it's like the six-part miniseries. I want to see this type of movie starring a washed-up TV star. That's what I want back. Let's give Lindsay Lohan another shot. Lindsay Lohan, Heather Locklear could be in more of these. She's in some classics. Are we going to watch the new Lindsay Lohan romantic comedy on Netflix that's coming out? I mean, we got to. Wait, what is it called? Irish Wish, which is really hard to say. I think that's... Irish Wish. Irish Wish. Wish. Yeah. What, who named that? Is who it did, coming out at St. Patrick's Day? I'm sorry. <laughs> what is I this? think we need to recap that for Patreon for St. Patrick's Day. Like a St. Patrick's Day... Exclusive. Exclusive. Irish Wish. Aisha Curry. What? She's in it. What's she doing in there? Listen to this cast. Aisha Curry, Jane Seymour. What? 
See, this is good already. This is going to be a banger. Because this is what I'm talking about. TV movies, you got to have people like Jane Seymour. Yes. Richard yes. Chamberlain. Richard. Like, whatever. Like, he's dead, I think. But, like, that type of person where you're like, oh, I haven't seen that person in a while. They used to be on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Like, you want to see people where it's like, oh, my God. I Chad agree. Allen? Okay. Let's go. <laughs> no, we got to... We gotta, we got to watch this because this is also, I think it's like kind of magical luck of the Irish. It says, oh God. when the love of her life gets engaged to her friend, Maddie puts her feelings aside to be a bridesmaid at their wedding in Ireland. Oh God. Days before the wedding, Maddie makes a spontaneous wish for true love only to wake up as the bride to be. Oh shit. A monkey paw. We got to, <laughs> we got to watch this. This Wait, okay. I like how Lindsay Lohan is like, She's like the Netflix's version of the Hallmark movie star. I love this for her. She's like their Candace Cameron Beret or whatever. Yeah. So this premieres March 15th. <clears throat> so this will be a St. Patrick's Day Patreon exclusive. I can't believe we're doing St. Patrick's Day themed movies now. Well, we have a reason to. <laughs> because it, No, I'm talking about in general. Oh, I it's know. It's like Christmas. Yes. Okay. I'll give you a Valentine's Day. But St. Patrick's That's not Day. a holiday we typically do content for. No. I mean, not can us you in think, general. Can you think of one besides the Leprechaun movies? Um, I mean, there's movies. I'm not going to count movies that are just set in Ireland or with Irish actors. No, that doesn't count. No. So I can't think of any. But I'm here for it. It was like when we got that one Hanukkah movie. Last year, oh, three years ago. <laughs> What's the one Hanukkah? Oh, it's a eight Hallmark. Crazy Nights? Oh, no. Oh, you're talking about Hallmark It was movies. a Hallmark Christmas movie, but it oh, was Hanukkah. Yeah. And it was like a Hanukkah, it was like a Jewish pun or something. I can't remember. It was like locks and no. What was it? It had some really bad. It was bad, really bad. It was really bad. It was a really bad pun. and Or maybe the pun was in the marketing, like okay. the tagline. Wait. Put in Hanukkah. Hanukkah's new Hallmark. Round and round. There's one that just came out last year called Round oh, and Round. Oh, they're doing more. Yeah, the Round and Round, which is like about the dreidel. Oh. Lifetime movie. It was Lifetime, right? Or was it I Hallmark? think it was Hallmark. Dude, there, there's never going to be a good Hanukkah movie. I just no. I haven't seen it yet. Because I don't think, yeah, it just doesn't work with Hanukkah. We Christmas gotta, is kind of corny. Hanukkah on rye. That's it. That's what it was. <laughs> With Lisa Loeb and Jeremy Jordan. I mean, it does sound good. Yeah. Lisa Loeb? She's why, an act. She's why is she in a Hanukkah movie? Why is Lisa <laughs> she's Loeb? She's like the star of a Hanukkah movie. Okay. I might need to see that. Um, wait, someone said on Reddit, I watched all of Hallmark's Hanukkah movies. Oh. There's multiple Hanukkah movies on Reddit. I like how they're like, here, we'll throw one in every year. This is crazy. Wait, there's one called... I think Hanukkah Rise 2 is about a, um, each of them own a deli. They own a competing <laughs> deli. Yes. That's and what it like, was. It's almost offensive. It is almost <laughs> offensive. It's like so stereotypical. It's like Jewish people can't just exist. They're like, here, Jews, here's your version of you've got email. I mean, but to be like fair... These Christmas movies are always stupid and corny. No, they're all similar dumb. with a it's, similar. It's it, just very funny. No, they're all fucking stupid. It has nothing to do with that. They're just like, but it is very funny. Uh, no, I'm excited for the Lindsay Lohan, and I would love to do. I would love to recap, start recapping some of those old TV movies that are about Hollywood themed stories because they're all terrible. 
They're so yeah. bad. And the casting's always like bad. Well, because Lonnie Anderson was already like, this 91, guys. Yeah. <laughs> She's like in her Burt Reynolds era, right? Yeah. She just <laughs> looks, she she's looks, like, she couldn't look further from Thelma Todd. And they didn't, she's even, just, try. They didn't even try. She looks like a modern, you know, whatever, sex symbol or whatever you want to call her, blonde yeah. type actress. She doesn't look like Thelma Todd. They didn't even like pluck her eyebrows thin. She looks like she's wearing a Party City wig. It's not good. She looks like Lonnie Anderson got invited to an old Hollywood party. Yes. You know? <laughs> and didn't do that good of a job dressing no. up. She just... Yeah. Like she bought a flapper costume from Spirit Halloween. No, her look is just so not of that era. It's it's like shocking she, She's to see. got 70s, 80s face. Yeah, she to does. Me. She does. Um, but yeah. Anyway. I, I definitely remember watching that and being like, ooh... <laughs> I'm excited to watch it one day. Yeah. And maybe after our Thelma Todd episode. Yeah, that would be fun if we do episodes and find there's a TV movie. We can, we can do, the recap. do the recap. Okay, okay cool. Thank All right, you. We'll see you very soon for the mini. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.